Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show where you'll never hear the host say, Dude, gnarly radical wave, man. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining, adult-oriented, pipe-smoking show. Yeah, that's right, kids of all ages, as long as you're legal to smoke a pipe, you're welcome here. I am your host, Brian Levine, and it is Thursday night. In tonight's show, gonna start an experiment with you on aging tobaccos. Three different specific age ranges of the same tobacco. That'll be in pipe parts. My guest, Ped Vandergavel, the Scotch piper, Scotch pipe smoker. Can't wait. This was recorded a week and a half ago. It was a lot of fun. You'll have to check this out. Uh, mailbag music by request this week and. Rant as usual, all that coming up in this episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And can I, uh, if I sound a little tired, a little frustrated, uh, can I just tell you, my house is being torn apart. Today was day one of the dismantling from the toilet upstairs leaking, and we are losing all the floor in the uh, living room, dining room, kitchen all being torn out the ceiling in the kitchens torn out the uh, first floor the or the second floor the landing in the bathroom torn out so yesterday I was uh, packing up my tobaccos and emptying out my tobacco cabinet and putting them away in boxes and getting all the getting all the important stuff put away so all the booze cigars and pipe tobacco and pipes are all Tucked neatly out of the way, out of any work that may be going on, and uh, rumor has it, this may be a uh, couple weeks to over a month before it's back to normal again, which means I've lost my normal smoking chair at home, so uh, somebody's not happy, and he's talking right now, but we'll get through it. Spent the afternoon here at work smoking away, getting ready for tonight's show. And speaking of tonight's show, everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. Here we go. The year was 1849. Zachary Taylor was sworn in as the 12th president of the United States. The U.S. flag remained fixed at 30 stars. Edgar Allan Poe was found dead in Baltimore. Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco, founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes 
or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit sutliff-tobacco.com for information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. This is Internet Radio. Welcome back. In just a few minutes, the conversation I had with the Scotch Piper. Right now, here's what I did. I uh, took three tins, three unopened 50-gram tins of Escudo. Why did I pick Escudo? I picked Escudo because I'm really familiar with the blend. It was one of my first loves when I first really got to understand pipe smoking and pipe tobacco. And I had access to some older tins in my own cellar, and there's brand new production, still all within the same can. So what I did was I kept the uh, looked at the current day production, got a tin from 2013, took the same size can that I had from 2011, and found one in my cellar from 2006. So I've got three identical size cans from the same factory, same blend, same product. Posted pictures of all this on the page for the for this episode, so you should be able to take a look and kind of follow along with me. Uh, if you're driving, don't take a look and follow along with me. Trust me, or come back later and check out the webpage. So for this first part, what I want to talk about was my first impressions of the tins. I have always felt and always believed that tobacco does something wonderful, especially Virginia Perique blends do something wonderful after about two years of sitting in the tin. So what I did was I lined up all three tins, wrote down the date or the year that they were made on the label so that everybody can see it cleanly, and wanted to take note of the differences. So, for example, when I first looked at the tins, I noticed that in the 2006 one, the ANC Peterson logo is still present on the top. When you go forward to 2011, 2013, the ANC Peterson logo is gone, and the Scandinavian Tobacco Group logo is there. Minor difference. It's a it's part of the label. Big deal. Uh, on opening the tins, I noticed that it took a lot more effort to open up the tin from 2006. So my guess is that in the seven years that it's been sitting quietly aging, the gases have built up in there and have made the seal a little tighter or pulling on the air in there. Um, once I opened them up, automatically I noticed that the 2011 tin was packed a little weird. It looked like everything had slid to one side or the other. My first thought was, maybe it's missing some of the tobacco. So I got out my gram scale and measured it in comparison to the other two, and nope, they all came up, you know, 48, 50, 52 grams of tobacco, uh, no big deal there. You're going to get a slight variance in them anyway, but no big deal. Got them all open. Uh, obviously, the 2006 tin, slight yellowing to the outside paper, but just the slightest. I was gonna, I was kind of expecting more of it at that point. The 2013 tin, took a big sniff of it, got that grassy, fresh, 
smell that I was kind of expecting from it. The 2011 tin had the strongest tin note of the three. It had that periki punch that I like, and I've talked about. I could smell that fruitiness of the perique in there, where the 2006 tin didn't have that fruitiness anymore. Had just kind of a, a, a rounded, mellow smell, no grassiness, no periki punchness, just a good, even smell to it. Uh, just in looking at the tobaccos, the 2006 tin, the coins or the discs look dark and even colored. Uh, the 2011 tin, you could still see some variations between the Virginias and the uh, and the darker tobaccos. And in the 2013 tin, it looks like it's really multicolored and kind of striped, and you can really see the individual. Uh, the individual leaves that are in the blend. So they've yet to do that marrying of color, that darkening that you see in the 2006 tin. Now, once I opened them, I did notice that on pulling out the paper and pulling out, you know, opening up the paper in there and looking at them, obviously they're packed differently. So I'm wondering if maybe there was a different packing technique used where maybe... The 2011 tin looked to me like it was uh, kind of hand-packed in, in sections. Uh, the 2006 tin, it was really hard to tell, uh, really hard to pull the discs apart because they seem like under pressure they've kind of solidified together. The 2013 tin, everything's perfectly round in there. So those are the beginning impressions. Over the next week, I'm going to go through and smoke them, smoke them in different bowl sizes, different pipes, the same pipe over and over again, try to get some of the uh, slight nuances of them. That'll be uh, in part two coming up in a future episode. So in a minute, the Scotch Piper. Hi, this is Sykes Wolford from SmokingPipes.com, and you're listening to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you for calling SmokingPipes.com. This is Barry. How can I help you? Meet Barry. He's our homegrown, all-American family guy in customer service here at SmokingPipes.com. With 25 years of experience in sales, his dedication to customer service makes Barry pretty handy around here. He's on the phone all day helping customers like you from all over the globe pick out great pipes and pipe tobacco. Ciao, Barry. Tell me about your selection of a Savinelli autograph. Don't you know I saw that list of tobacco you carry online there? Maybe you could help me pick out a good Virginia, eh? You see, we hire not only the best people, we hire people who are as passionate about our products as you are. Just ask Barry why he loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Because I don't just help people choose from our great selection of pipes, I smoke them. Call us at 1-888-366-0345 or check us out online at SmokingPipes.com. We are quality, we are experts, we are SmokingPipes.com. It is my pleasure to welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show somebody who is probably better known around the uh, YouTube community and around Facebook as the Scotch Piper, but his real name on this planet Earth is Ped Van de Gevel. I hope I did that right. Please tell me yes. Sounds good. Okay. Ped, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you very much. Now, tell us, where did you grow up? Let's uh, let's start at the beginning so that we all get to know you. 
I first, uh, well, I should say I'm originally from Thailand. I was adopted uh, by a Dutch father and a Scottish mother. I spent quite a few years in the Philippines until 1992 when we left due to the volcano eruption and the house was destroyed. So, of course, the Dutch embassy had to move all of us for the safety of the family and we decided to start life in Scotland. And from Scotland, of course, well, I did education and that sort of stuff. And my parents just wanted me to have a more settled life with my brother. But while this was all going on, we still managed to travel and see people because my parents had spent many years working in Africa, Laos, Cambodia, those sort of places. So we had a lot of contacts and ended up visiting places and also living in certain places for short times. So you've seen a lot of parts of the world that a lot of people don't get to see. Indeed, and not just seeing, uh, living in parts of the world. And I think that's always different. When I go on holiday, I tend to choose to see certain places and the nicer places or the more tourist places. And when you're living in a place, you don't necessarily get to have that choice. You are stuck in the culture and the sphere of the country. And I think that that for me brings it home that you learn a lot more about the cultural aspects of the world. What were what were some of the some of the differences and some some of the things that you really liked about the different areas that you've lived in? I remember being in Africa once, and that was the time my grandfather was still alive. And you've got to remember my grandfather is, I think he was about in the 70s when he came over to Africa. And we were driving in a Jeep, in a safari Jeep. And there was a couple of hippopotamuses which came across the road. And the Jeep had to stop for these guys. You don't, you don't try and knock these guys out of the way. And I remember my grandmother saying to, saying to my grandfather, look, there's hippos. And my grandfather turned around and said to my dad, so, I've seen it all on Discovery before. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think for me it's just the, it's a culture shock of having so much various animals which... I nowadays tend to see in the zoo, but when you see them in their open space, roaming around and being so close to you, that's quite a magical feeling in itself. Uh, and the food. Uh, I'm a big food addict, and I think that is one of the things which uh, has helped me along the way, uh, visiting different countries, is trying so much different varieties of food. And... The same, the same goes for food as it does with pipes. It is a communication and a social thing. And I think you learn so much just through the food of other people. It's, it's fantastic. I've tried to convince my kids that when you're out in different areas that you always try the local specialty. Uh, are there any favorites of yours from 
places that you've been to? Um, I would say the prawns in Thailand are fantastic. They're cheap and they're about as big as my hand. Wow. Uh, Tom soup, fantastic. Um, strangely enough, I was in New York last year, and the American burgers are fantastic. <laughs> I don't often I don't often say much about American food, but the American burger is a true classic. We we do know how to make a patty with some good grease in the middle. Exactly. The more grease, the better on a burger. Now you talked about pipe smoking. Do you, when did you start smoking a pipe? I started smoking a pipe back when I was 16. I had left Scotland to come to the Netherlands to study jewellery and watchmaking. And in this country, it was still a time you could actually smoke in a school, as long as you were of the age to smoke. And I remember trying to work on a piece of jewellery or a watch, and trying to do that with a cigarette in your mouth doesn't work. And back in the day, I was quite artistic and quite artistic with the way I dressed. So I decided to buy a cheap pipe. And I have to say it was a disaster. It was a serious disaster. But I bought this pipe and I really sort of started smoking from there. I thought, this is something I I want to get into. Uh, I just didn't know how to. That was the biggest problem. So who did you go to to help you get started? It was the pipe. It was the pipe teacher. It was the teacher which was teaching me jewelry, and he had sold my table this cheap pipe. And I'm seriously, I mean, if you've seen cheap pipes from China, this is even worse. <laughs> this was the lowest of the lowest. And he'd he'd said to me, "Come with me for a second. I want to show you something." And he pulled out this beautiful freehand, and this was a serious pipe. I, mean, I, can't, I can't remember the make of it, but it was a serious pipe. And he told me, if you're, gonna, if you're going to start smoking a pipe, at least put a bit of money into it and buy a decent pipe. And he gave me my first pack of tobacco, uh, which was Amphidora Cherry. And from there, really, I sort of learned slowly how to do things. Was it an immediate love from there, or did you have to work at it? The pipe in itself was an immediate love. I loved the feeling of having a pipe in my hand and using it. Uh, I loved the craftsmanship of having a pipe. The smoking part of it, that was something else. But I think that was more due to my lack of knowledge and my cheapness in tobacco, to put it politely. That caused that caused that one, and I remember I remember playing about with various things like you had the metal stinger in a pipe or a filter, and in time in time the actual idea of not just owning a pipe but being able to smoke it became a pleasure for me. Uh, you mentioned the cheapness. How much was the uh, how much was a pouch of tobacco? In that day, that was about six euros. So approximately nine dollars for a fifty-gram pouch. Yep, something like that. 
And I, remember, I, I remember it was the cheapest, and back in that day, I was smoking stuff like Clan and traditional Dutch tobacco toast, yeah. which is all very hot burning tobacco, and it tasted disgusting. Uh, you won't get me back onto Clan that quickly. <laughs> How long did it take for you to evolve and find your taste? and then eventually find your your smoking preferences? Uh, that's a good one. Uh, I think I think that took at least at least a year. Uh, I was never scared of trying different tobaccos. I kept off things which looked difficult. Uh, I kept away from flakes and I kept away from plugs and ropes because I did not know how to do any of those. But I was buying a lot of store-bought and drug tobaccos, uh, Scandinavian mix and McBarrens. And eventually I sort of shifted to more aromatics. Um, the one tobacco which I've kept from my smoking years at that time is Scandinavian mix. Yeah. And I smoke that just about every day at work because it's an easy tobacco which I can buy and now, you said when you started smoking, you could smoke just about anywhere you wanted to. How, Correct, in the train. In the train. Uh, in the. I remember being in Denmark in 2001, and there was an ashtray in the elevator. Exactly. Those were the days. Yeah. In the, men, in the men's room, there were ashtrays in the stalls. <laughs> uh, I, I, think, I think they should bring it back. Yeah. How is the how is the smoking culture in in the Netherlands now? Well, of course, everybody. I think when everybody thinks of the Netherlands, the first thing they think of is um, marijuana. Yeah, certain coffee uh, shops in Amsterdam. Yes. Yeah. So we already have a reputation for smoking. Um, if you want to talk about cigarettes, well, the reputation here is roll-ups. Right. Um, Pipe smoking in general is not fantastically big. There's a lot of cigar smokers. But the nice thing here in the Netherlands is we still have proper smoking lounges in Europe. Um, and there's not a lot of places anymore which has that, where we can sit down and we can actually have a smoke and buy some tobacco, buy a new pipe. Um, I, would say, I would say in this country we're a lot more relaxed. We have, we have rules. You're not allowed to smoke anymore in public buildings or in a train. I still smoke in my office because it's my office. But generally, you're not allowed to do that anymore. So, and two years ago, I think, we banned, we banned smoking in the restaurants. So it's, it, is getting, it is getting a lot, uh, a lot tighter with the rules. Uh, the price of tobacco is going up, but I think in general it is a lot more relaxed than the last time I was in Glasgow, for example, which is a nightmare. In you really can't smoke anywhere. I believe you have to be a certain distance from the entrance of a building in Scotland. Yes, which is, for, for me, it's, uh, I, I, I don't quite understand, but you need to... You indeed need to be a certain entrance from a building in Scotland. You can't really smoke in the street. Um, it's become
when I go to Scotland, I go to the Highlands, and nobody's going to stop me smoking in the middle of the mountains. But if you're in, if you're generally in a city, you have a problem. That that's just amazing to think of a pub in Scotland and you can't smoke in it. I know it was a it was a culture shock in my own city. To put it nicely, can we go? And of course, the first thing, the first thing is I pull out a pipe, and everyone's of course looking at me. Oh, are you completely crazy? <laughs> it it would have been better if you just had leprosy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you get you get less looks on it. Can you describe for us, go back to the, the smoking lounges in the Netherlands and kind of describe it? Is it part of a is it part of the uh, the tobacco shop or is it part of a, a, a separate is it a separate room in a building? Well, what, what I do is I have two I have two main lounges which I go to uh, because I work a lot in Amsterdam. I go to Pace Hyenas which I'm sure many people will know, the very famous cigars from the Netherlands. And that is a very old, I think that building's about 100, 150 years old. And it used to belong to Pace Hyena, where the cigars were actually made. And that lounge is inside the, is inside the smoking shop. And one of the only places I really know where you can buy limited edition Dunhill pipes from the Titanic series and that sort of stuff. And you can try various tobaccos and you can try various cigars and have a cup of coffee or a glass of port. The one which I go to in Rotterdam because it's closer to my house is mainly for cigars. Uh, They have some pipes, big bend pipes are all over the place. And across the street, you have a pub which has nothing to do with the cigar lounge. But what they've done is they've done a deal where I can go to the pub, I can buy a glass of wine, and I can take it over to the lounge. So all I need to do is cross the street with a glass of wine and drink it in the lounge, which I think is a fantastic system. It sounds wonderful. And you can check that one out on YouTube. I have a video on that one. And that's perfect. We'll take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about your uh, your YouTube channel and what you're doing on Facebook. So we'll be back in just a minute. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like a good book. Or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeerschaumStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeerschaumStore.com, the most trusted Meerschaum store for 50 years. The term one-stop shop is so overused. There's no place that is literally a one-stop shop. Well, guess what? When it comes to your quality tobacco products, there is. It's cupojoes.com. With hundreds of pipe tobacco blends, thousands of pipes in stock, a wide variety of cigars, coffees, accessories, and so much more. All you have to do is go to cupojoes.com, and there it is, cupojoes.com. Quality products, extraordinary prices. We are back. Uh, 
Ped, tell me your your interest in pipes, your collecting in pipes. Where? How did it begin? What do you, What do you What do you focus on? Uh, personal focus on collecting pipes. I'm a big freehand collector. I love my Danish pipes. That's things like Shelburne's, uh, Eric Nording, Eltang's. I love the artistic nature of a pipe, but I also stand my ground on a pipe should be used. So I don't buy pipes which are too artistic in ornaments. I tend to use my pipes. <laughs> I enjoy them for what they are. and But I do like the artistic nature of a free hand. Uh, I have a few Dunhills. Uh, I'm not going to start an argument of is Dunhills better than any other pipe. I personally, I smoke a couple of Dunhills, but for me, they're not the holy grail of pipes. And of course, the other passion which I have is I collect a lot of Kiko pipes, and that's... which for me hold also quite a sentimental value too. But I also find them just fantastic smokers. Yeah, tell us the story behind that, because that fascinated me. The Kiko pipes. Uh, I got two Kiko pipes from a very old friend of my parents, which had stopped smoking. And my mother came over from Scotland one year for Christmas, and I had given her an up-to-date photo of myself as a gift. And in the photo, I had a pipe in my hand. And she had taken it. She, she was staying at the friend's house. And she had showed the, pa- the picture to the friend because the last time they saw me, I was about 12 years old. And the man had said, oh, Peter Style, I have a few pipes for him. And the next day she had said to me, I have a couple of pipes from, for you from so-and-so. He would like you to have them because he stopped smoking. Now, these pipes I remember when I was in Africa and also when I was in Scotland when he used to come to the house. And I opened them up and, lo and behold, there were two Kikos and a gorgeous Stanwell pipe. Now, the Stanwell pipe was beautiful, but it didn't hold as much sentimental value as these two Kiko pipes. And... That's really what got me into it. I remember, uh, I mean, these pipes have got to be something like 40 years old, and he, he had bought them in Africa. He had worked with my parents in Africa, and they'd been on safari, and they'd been almost halfway around the world, if not further. And I just thought they were stunning pipes in themselves, and the craftsmanship for something like that is beautiful. Uh, I'm not really into traditional African art, but Kiko pipes in itself hold hold a beauty, I think. And Kiko is a brand that we haven't talked about much on the show. It was actually made in Africa. It was. It was made in Tanzania, and the original name of it is Tanziki, which is no longer, which is no longer called. And you have various levels of the Kiko pipe. You have the rhino, you have the white elephant, and you've got the leather-clad Kiko pipes. Kiko started to really form in itself because of the Mushka, which is a lot harder and a lot more brittle 
in the Turkish Mirskam. So a lot of people say it's inferior to Turkish Mirskam. Uh, it's also a lot harder to carve, and that's why you don't see Mirskam pipes from the Kiko line beautifully carved like the Turkish pipes. They're all very much robust, rook-like pipes. And in order to stop it from brittling, they put it into African hardwoods. So a lot of the Kiko pipes are wooden, but lined on the inside with mirschkam. And from there, they sort of developed various lines, and they did lines with the leather. And I believe they also did a lot of the pipes for in England for various makes. So they grew. They grew in time as a bigger company. Do you think there's a place for another uh, manufacturer in Africa? Yes. Uh, the times I've been to Africa, there are still very much people smoking pipes. And I know when we think about the Maasai's in Kenya, for example, living in the middle of nowhere, or as we call them in Africa, in the middle of the bush, <laughs> we think of them as being peasant sort of people with great clothes. And the last time I was in Africa, I did a safari, and one of the Kiko, uh, one of the Kiko, one of the Maasai chiefs came out to greet me and my dad. And lo and behold, he had a twenty grand Rolex watch on his wrist. <laughs> so they're not that <laughs> poor. Uh, but on the on the pipe side of things, a lot of them really do smoke pipes. And a lot of them are just simple, basic pipes like the Kiko pipes. There is nothing fancy about them. They're, there's no engineering quality like the Peterson system and the Dunhill windshield briar pipe. Nothing like that. It is just a simple working pipe. <laughs> and I think if we can, I think if Africa was to start making pipes again and producing them again, there would be a great market for it because. There's a lot of people which I know which are interested in having a Kiko pipe in their collection. And they're, and they're not easy to find nowadays either. No, that's the thing. Uh, they're, they're the simple range, there is quite a lot to find. Uh, on the more difficult ones like the Mirschkan block, which is called the Rock Collection, or you've got the Lumberjack Collection, which is... Uh, for a little bit on the design of the Dunhill shell briar with the tube, the Dunhill Don pipe. Uh, those those are rare pipes from the from the Kiko collection, and some days it's just potluck if you go on to eBay or Craigslist, whichever country you're in, which has an auction site. It is potluck whether you find one or not, um, and that's the thing that. These pipes are becoming rarer and rarer, and the more I see people buying these pipes, they're coming and asking me a bit about the history of it. I've noticed a lot of the pipes aren't original anymore. That's just come from years of experience of handling Kiko pipes. I know when the stem has been replaced because it doesn't look right. It doesn't look how, how it should. And to get some in original quality and in good quality is extremely hard. 
Now, are are estate pipes or used pipes? Are they as popular in in Europe as they are here? I can't speak for the whole of Europe. In the Netherlands, no. Uh, in Holland, the Dutch have a thing about anything which is secondhand, but pipes in particular. And the problem is, they don't like spending a lot of money. Um, you can find a lot of mediocre pipes on the market and you can buy them for about 5 euros, 10 euros. If you really open your heart and search, you can find things like Dunhills where they want an extortionate amount of money for just because it's a Dunhill. But as I say, second-hand pipes isn't really something which is big uh, in this country. And that's something which I've never, never understood about the Dutch in particular. If you go to a restaurant and you eat the cutlery, how many people have eaten off of that cutlery <laughs> before you? And it's been washed and it's been cleaned. And same with a pipe. If you wash it and you clean it, there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> I'm just thinking of an entire country of brand new, brand new cutlery in uh, in in China. Exactly. I think you'll go bankrupt. <laughs> No, no rental cars at all. Everybody buys a brand new one each week. <laughs> well, that, that, that really is what it's like over here. They they prefer to have a new pipe, and some days I like to, I like I like to have an estate pipe that has also already been broken into, or I need to do something with the pipe, uh, which always makes it fun. I I do like to work a little bit on my pipes and have the pleasure of restoring it. So let's talk about, let's go over to your, your YouTube channel because some, some of this stuff is all on your YouTube channel. Uh, yeah. The YouTube channel is the Scotch Piper. Mm-hmm. What made you want to start uh, doing it? And What made me start doing it was I had another friend on the YouTube channel, which some of you might know as Dubbing the Dam. And he was one of the first people to do a YouTube channel for pipe smoking. And eventually, as I, I used to watch a lot of the pipe smokers come into the YouTube channel uh, before I even did anything on YouTube. And I found it was a lot of older people. And you had some younger people popping up. And they were mainly from England or from America. But... That, that was when the time of Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit yeah. sort of era, where young people thought then Bilbo Baggins smoking a pipe is quite cool. <laughs> we want to try and smoke a church warden. And I suddenly thought, this could catch on. And for me, it wasn't about Lord of the Rings. It was about helping the younger people and saying, right, I'm in your generation. Uh, I smoke a pipe and I couldn't give a toss what anyone thinks about it. I'm just me. And there's more to smoking a pipe than just shoving a bunch of tobacco in it and flaming it up. And perhaps you might be a little bit more comfortable listening to somebody on your own age level than somebody older, which is why I started a YouTube channel for the younger generation, just to bring them into the pipe smoking world a little bit 
when somebody approaches you and asks you, I want to get involved in pipe smoking, I want to try a pipe, I want to, I want to start smoking a pipe, what's the, what are the first suggestions that you give them? Don't buy a cheap pipe. Don't buy an expensive pipe, but don't buy a cheap pipe. And what I mean by that is don't go on eBay and have a look for a 99-cent pipe which I've also once done. Uh, if, you're going, if you're going to enjoy it, then try and at least enjoy it in a half-decent pipe. And there's nothing wrong with a corncob pipe. Try it in that if you must. Um, talk to your tobacconist. If you have a good tobacconist, talk to him because he will know exactly what's in the tobaccos and what sort of tobaccos. Uh, my theory is that tobaccos are made for particular pipes. So know what pipe you want to buy and know what tobacco you want to smoke in it. Uh, what I mean by that is the Danish people weren't making pipes for American tobacco. They were making it to smoke Danish tobacco in. The same as the Dutch were making clay pipes and we weren't making for Danish tobaccos. We were making it to put Dutch tobaccos in and it will always smoke better in a pipe that it should belong to. And persevere with the hobby. The first time it might not work out, but persevere with it. Go on to Facebook, go on to YouTube, because we're now living in a world with the internet, and everyone is socially connected all around the world. And if you're not a big reader, you don't need to buy a book. You can just go on to one of these sites and you can talk to people, and you can socialize with people. And lo and behold, you can make a video as well and show people what you're doing so you can get advice if you may be doing it wrong or may be doing it right. And the one thing I want to point out is everybody makes a big deal on packing a pipe. It's not that hard to pack a pipe, and you should make it a big deal. Pack, pack a pipe that you think works for you, and if it doesn't work, you know not to do it again. <laughs> do you pack your pipe di pipes differently depending on the pipe and depending on the tobacco? I used to. Uh, I think nowadays I just sort of stuff it in there, to be honest. <laughs> I'm one of these people where I don't give a toss anymore. I just unceremoniously shove it in my pipe. But I think that's got to also do with the years that I've been smoking. I remember in the beginning... I was really, really fussy how I used to pack a pipe. And I used to do it the, I think it's got some German name to it, where you pack it a little bit at the bottom, a little bit in the middle, and quite a lot on the top and push down. The only thing I really concentrate on is if I'm packing flakes or I'm packing plugs or blocks of tobacco into my pipe. I will take a little bit more time. But everything else, I sort of shove in my pipe. I'm probably about as unceremonial with packing my pipe as the next pipe smoker out there. Uh, but I did see you smoke a pipe upside down. Yes, that's a good one. Uh, that was in one of my videos on how to smoke, uh, how to smoke in the snow, I think, mm -hmm. in a blizzard which I've heard that some of the American people in the Texas area needed this year. 
<laughs> so there's a whole bunch of people smoking their pipes upside down the past week because it's been terribly cold oh, around here. <laughs> I was trying to point out that you don't need a wind cap, and if you if you know how to pack a pipe properly, your tobacco is not going to fall out. Um, before anyone actually does come and reply to this interview, I have not been walking around with my pipe upside down the whole time. <laughs> no, no. And, and you probably shouldn't do it while you're sitting inside relaxing. Oh, I've done it while I've been in a car once. <laughs> I own an open uh, I own an open top car and I tried it once. Not clever. <laughs> it, that means it, it might have been time to buy a new shirt. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, packing, packing is just something which I hear coming up so many times. Or when you should tamp a pipe with your tamper. It's all really down to the more you smoke, the more experience you will, you will gain from it. And I think the beauty of it is you could be smoking for 50 years and still not know everything. It's, it's, a, it's a learning game. We're all, we're all learning something from it. Now let's let's talk about the uh, the goal of the Scotch Piper on Facebook. The goal of the Scotch Piper on Facebook is, as some of you will have realised, the Scotch Piper, of course, is not my real name. The Scotch Piper's page is dedicated only to the art of smoking, and every now and again, some luxury items float up and down on my page. It is also dedicated to all the hard-working men and women out there which are keeping our crafts alive. Uh, no offence to the big Dunhill companies or the big Bain, but we need to support our fellow man as well. And it's the chance for people also to promote their work on my page. And as the page grows in time, hopefully the promotions will also grow in time for these people making beautiful pipes. And, of course, on my page, as lots of you probably know, there's lots of notes and there are lots of documents on the side of it telling you about the history of pipes, telling you various makes of pipes, since every day I seem to get messages of, I have a Dunhill pipe from 1940, what is it? <laughs> uh, there's, there's stuff there which you can use to research your own pipe. And of course, it's just another—it's just another side of connecting and networking with people. And I think that's really—I think that's really important. As a small group of people, which in the world which are smoking pipes, I noticed that very few of them actually have pipe smoking clubs or pipe smoking friends. Yes. And as the lords tighten in some countries. Some of them are limited to where they can smoke a pipe and talk about it. And the Facebook site is one place where at least you feel you can smoke a pipe and talk to people about what you're smoking. Even our Starbucks around here have thrown us off the patios now. Really? I heard a small story from somebody on Facebook. I'll not mention names, but that somebody was kicked off star no, refused the coffee by the drive through in America at the Starbucks because he was smoking a cigar. <laughs> uh, 
operations. I will be doing a road. I am doing a road trip in America this year and going to the Chicago Pipe Show. Oh, wonderful! So I thought I'd put, yeah, I thought I'd put that theory to the test and smoke a cigar while I'm uh, ordering coffee at the drive-through. I've yet to have problems at the drive-thru, but in protest, I've also not gone in and ordered any more of their little brownies that I used to buy all the time. <laughs> so I hope Starbucks oh. enjoys all their brownies, because I'm not buying them. Well, I have to admit, I got today a very nice package from Mr. John Hines, and that's one of the American pipe makers, some of you will know. And with that package, I got a tin of... Rose Lacatia and another tobacco. And some of you will know the packaging on that. And I was looking at the warning label on the package, which is very small and you can't even see it really. It looks more like what's in the in in the pot or in the jar. And I went looking for some of my Dutch tobaccos and some of my German tobaccos and goodness knows what. And you see all over the tin a complete warning sign and one of the fights which I was making after the Christmas was I had bought a whole lot of Christmas tobaccos not generally because I like to smoke them but because the tins are absolutely fantastic at that time of year and they all seem to be ruined by this big warning label so I have an argument now with the government because my tins are devalued on eBay because of this warning sign (laughs) let's wrap this up with the fast five final questions there's no right answer no wrong answer are you ready yep what is your favorite pipe my danish freehand by shelburne ts 80s model what's your favorite tobacco scandinavian mixture what's your favorite drink Remy Martin or Amaretto? Uh, when you get some time to relax, do you do it with a book, a movie, or music? With both. With some classical music normally, or a bit of Freddie Mercury, and a book. Freddie is classical. Oh, yes. And, classical rock. And finally, what's your favorite pipe smoking memory? I think my favourite pipe smoking memory was after many years of being away from Scotland. I came back and I was talking to a friend on the shores of Loch Lomond. And I had a very beautiful Stanwell pipe, I think, in my hand. And we were just talking about our childhood and everything which had gone on over the years. And it was a wonderful evening with a pipe. That sounds great. Ped, thank you very much. I look forward to seeing you in Chicago. My pleasure. You too. We'll be back in just a minute. I'm Mark from Ohio, and I've tried so many tobaccos, but I just still can't find something that is just magical, a tobacco that I can fall in love with. I mean, I've tried reading reviews online and participating in forum discussions only to get burned. When I was about to give up, I discovered this amazing matching system for finding my perfect blend at SutliffTobacco.com. That's how I found my perfect blend, and I just love it. 
Finding the right tobacco doesn't have to be hard. There are lots of tobaccos waiting for you to fall in love with them. Finding that special tobacco shouldn't be left up to chance. Experience the magic of compatibility with our patented Perfect Match system. Try it at SutlifTobacco.com. Go to SutlifTobacco.com right now and find your perfect blend. While we were all listening to that, I fired up a bowl of the Escudo, had some uh, Maker's Mark 64, thanks to my friend Peter, and uh, just really enjoyed listening to that all over again. So check out the Scotch Piper on Facebook and on YouTube. All right, music for tonight by special request from Dino. We will go back to Nickel Creek and uh, Chris Thiele. Thank you. 
that was requested by Dino, who wanted to hear some banjo music. That's some older Nickel Creek featuring pipe maker Scott Thiele's son, Chris, on the mandolin and banjo. And, uh, in fact, I think that was the first album right after Chris fired his father, Scott, from the band. Actually, I guess it was more of a mutual thing. All right, Kevin, we're going to jump right over the mailbag. I want to get to the list of 2014 events because I want to make sure that everybody starts planning their uh, planning their travels for the year. Coming up February 15th in St. Louis, actually in St. Charles, Missouri, the St. Louis Pipe Club and Pipe Show. Unfortunately, I won't be able to be there because of all the stuff going on at home, and I will miss it. I hope everybody has a good time. International Pipe Smoking Day, February 20th, better known around here as the day before my wife's birthday, and I'll be out running around getting presents or something or getting in trouble. Uh, March 8th, New York Pipe Show, Newark, New Jersey. And shortly after that, April 12th, the Taps Raleigh Pipe Show in Raleigh, North Carolina. Then the big one, May 3rd and 4th, which really starts off May 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and then into the 5th, is the Chicago Pipe Show, St. Charles, Illinois. Start planning your dates now. Uh, we got a couple others added to the schedule. In Germany, Lomar, Germany, I hope is the correct way to pronounce that, on May 10th. And then uh, June 20th, 21st, and 22nd, the 2014 Kansas City Pipe and Tobacco Show at the Argosy Casino. Brand new location for them. Uh, July 13th, British Pipe Smoking Championship. So check that out. Going into August, the NASPC Show, Columbus, Ohio, August 23rd. The uh, second annual Music City Pipe Show and Swap looks like September 12th, 13th, and 14th, Nashville, Tennessee. 2014 Richmond Pipe Show, October 10th, 11th, and 12th, Richmond, Virginia. Uh, Speyer Pipe Show, October 18th in uh, Speyer, Germany, I'm going to say. That'll be October 18th. And then, to end the year, the 6th Annual 2014 West Coast Pipe Show. Is that the 6th one of 2014, or is that the 6th Annual West Coast Pipe Show for 2014? Uh, November 8th and 9th, Palace Station, Las Vegas, Nevada. Looks like it's the uh, second weekend in November this year. So it won't conflict with Halloween for me. Yay! All right, now you got all your pipe show dates. Remember, you cannot afford to miss a pipe show. Get yourself out to one of the pipe shows. The stuff that you will learn and see and touch and feel at a pipe show is invaluable. And that means rant time coming up next. There's nothing quite like hunting at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. 
Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. This is Internet Radio. Cowboy. Cowboy. Richard Sherman, the cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks for the American Football League, for those of you not from the United States, has been in the news recently because of a supposed rant-slash-tirade that he went off on at the end of the game last Sunday. Now, I can say, and I will defend him 100%, it was a well-fought game. They came out on top. He did the he defended the game winning play and apparently there was some bad you know some trash talking between him and the same receiver that he had been covering the entire game so let me say to Richard Sherman hey I'm just glad you didn't cuss or swear on TV you kept it together yeah you were amped up it was literally five minutes after that big play and congratulations the game didn't come out the way I wanted it, being born in San Francisco. But my real complaint is with the people that are jumping all over him, calling him all kinds of names, calling him a thug, calling him all kinds of stuff, and asking him to defend his actions. He didn't do anything. He just expressed his feelings and emotions at the end of a game he used proper language for public television. There was absolutely nothing wrong. It was a good, well-fought game, and they came out on top, and he defended the last play that secured the win for his team. Leave him alone. Get off his back. He's a football player, and he handled himself professionally, and then when he calmed down an hour later, he's had perfectly pleasant conversations with everybody on that's been interviewing him and he hasn't gone and gotten all viral and nasty about the people that have been calling him names on Facebook, Twitter and all that stuff. Leave him alone. He's a football player. His team won. They're going to the Super Bowl. He should be excited. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hey, if you need more information on any of those pipe shows or events coming up, go to the events page on pipesmagazine.com. Got any comments or feedback, post them on the forums. I do read them all. If you haven't had a chance, please leave us a review and rating on iTunes. We would certainly appreciate that. Make sure and share the Pipes Magazine radio show with all your pipe-smoking friends wherever you happen to have them. And last but certainly not least, thank you to my guest, the Scotch Piper. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. Happy trails to you.